Well, that was fast. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The president, 30 hours after saying that the Russians would not have engaged in meddling in the election, well, he reverses himself. Actually, I should be precise in what he said. Uh, the president said in a statement today that he read, Nobody wasn't talking off of cuff today. He was reading a statement prepared by John Bolton, his national security advisor, and others in the White House. He said he meant to say in Helsinki that he saw no reason why it would not be Russia that interfered in elections instead of it would be Russia that interfered in the elections. Um, but then, uh, and he also said that the administration is taking steps to aggressively repel Russian interference in the election. Uh, damage done to some degree, though. However, uh, you also need to know that the president's other comment was this, direct quote, I accept our intelligence community's conclusion that Russia's meddling in the 2016 election took place. Could be other people also. There's a lot of people out there. Um, the problem is that the could be other people also, there's a lot of people out there uh, were... Uh, off the cuff, shall we say, not in the statement uh, that his staff had wanted him to read. Uh, I'm told there was a bit of cringing at the White House when that happened as well. Um, listen, you don't have to be a partisan Democrat to recognize that yesterday was not President Trump's finest hour in office. Um, it was a day where he made a, a big mistake on an international stage and saw even his closest friends on Capitol Hill um, step up to say he needs to fix this. And 30 hours later, the president fixed it uh, as best he could, uh, but it doesn't necessarily undo all the damage from yesterday except for some of the, the diehard partisans. And frankly, I got to tell you, there, there is an issue here. I, I expect the president to do something like this. Yesterday is clearly what the president wanted to say uh, because he said it multiple times. The only times the president has said the Russians interfered in the election were at times that his staff had written statements for him or had given him direct briefings on it uh, prior to him going down the road. It's problematic for a number of reasons in that yesterday he actually stood next to Vladimir Putin in Helsinki to not only attack American institutions, uh, but to defend Russia. Only when he gets back domestically in this country to his staff in the White House does he read a statement that directly contradicts what he said yesterday. And you can say if you want, if you, if you really need to go down the rabbit hole, and it makes you sleep well at night to say, yes, the president misspoke yesterday. Okay. The problem is that the president has said that repeatedly over the last couple of years, and it is the statements that his staff prepares for him where he walks it all back. That's, that's not good from a geopolitical standpoint because it makes him look weak, and it does make him look like um, he doesn't necessarily have the integrity of our electoral process at the forefront of his mind as the leader of the free world. It's a problem. 
and it is a problem even his most ardent supporters on Capitol Hill recognize. It is a problem his staff recognize. And I think we've gotten to the point where even some of his most ardent supporters out there are willing to say this wasn't his finest hour. It doesn't mean they're not going to vote for him. It doesn't mean they're turning their back on him. But this may be the wake-up call where it's okay for uh, Republicans to realize, you know what, you can say the president shouldn't have said this, um, which will give the Republicans more intellectual honesty than Democrats with Barack Obama, who uh, very rarely were willing to stand up and say Obama got anything wrong, even after they were wiped out on the electoral map. And, you know, this does raise an issue of what happens with the electoral map. Listen, uh, there is a rumor at the White House escalating this afternoon you should know about. Uh, it's coming across the transom right now that John Kelly, the White House chief of staff, may be escalating his departure because of what happened with the NATO summit and with Russia. He doesn't want to be part of it. Um, we will see this rumor's been trickling out there for a while. I am told by people in the White House that there was a general meltdown of the staff yesterday over the president's performance in Helsinki. They knew it would be bad. In fact, uh, people on the plane with the president said he spent a lot of time in conversation with White House Communications Director Bill Shine and others on the flight back to the United States to try to understand why people were so upset about it and what they could do to fix it. They knew very quickly Quickly, by the time they landed, the president had made a mistake. Uh, when you've got all the Fox News criticizing the president, say, sh- save for Hannity and Tucker Carlson, uh, you got a problem. Fox News on Fox and Friends this morning, the president did watch it. Uh, they were very critical of the president. Maria Bartiromo critical, Charles Payne critical, Neil Cavuto critical, the afternoon shows critical, or Ingram critical. Uh, this wasn't the finest hour for the president. Um, to have made the statement yesterday, to have doubled down in defense of it on Hannity last night, and to see his supporters rally around him yesterday, and then to walk it all back, not only does it cut the legs out from under his supporters who did double down to defend him, uh, who, by the way, are now pretending that yesterday never happened, and they're defending him on this today, uh, it, it's just this this wasn't good, and they're doing damage control now, uh, rapidly doing damage control as they so- should. But I don't believe it's going to affect the election as much as some people might think. Uh, I don't think this is a game changer. Listen, here's what I think. I think that blue areas of this country are going to see a dramatic escalation in democratic activity and swing areas of this country will as well. And that could put the president's party in trouble in the House of Representatives. But we've still got the Brett Kavanaugh vote to happen. And I think that could hurt the Democrats in the Senate uh, in North Dakota, in West Virginia, in Florida. You may very well see a situation where the president of the United States' incumbent party picks up seats in the Senate and loses seats in the House. But I, I just I want you to consider something else on why I don't think long term this hurts the president of the United States. Let's just go back to April. What are we, we're in July, June, May, I mean, roughly four months ago. The first week of April. The president went on a tweet storm about DACA, and he said we were not going to withdraw from Syria, reversing himself. The second week in April, there was a Syrian chemical weapons attack. The third week in April, Trump bombed Syria. The fourth week in April, his uh, pick for the Veterans Administration bowed out, and he had his uh, summit with the French president. The first week in May, we have the Stormy Daniels scandal blow back up, Rudy Giuliani's interview about it. The second week in May, he withdrew from the Iran deal. This is all 2018, folks. The third week in May, he tried to save ZTE, the Chinese company, after uh, the sanctions issue, or the, the tariff issue, rather. 
The fourth week in May, he canceled the summit in Singapore with North Korea. The fifth week in May, the Singapore summit with North Korea was back on. The first week in June, he canceled the Philadelphia Eagles visit. The, the G7 summit happened in Canada. He walked out early. The second week of June, you had the tariff escalation and the North Korean summit. The third week in June, you had the border separation policy. The fourth week in June, Sarah Sanders was thrown out of restaurant and Justice Kennedy retired. The first week in May, uh, Scott Pruitt was fired and China escalated the tariff uh, trade war. The second week of July, Brett Kavanaugh. The third week in July, NATO and Helsinki. Can you believe all, all of these things have only happened in the last four months? It was only three weeks ago Sarah Sanders was thrown out of a restaurant. It was only three weeks ago that Justice Kennedy retired from the Supreme Court. It was only a month ago that the president had a summit with North Korea. It was only two, two months ago that the president withdrew from the Iran deal. Oh, and let's not forget the moving the, the embassy in Israel. That was then too. All of these things. People are forgetting. It, it sounds like eons and eons ago. Folks, the point is there are still about 2 million news cycles between now and November for people to forget about what he did yesterday, forget about what he did today, forget about what he does tomorrow, and move on to the next scandal, move on to the next thing. But what's happening in the Democratic Party is they're internalizing these things and they're becoming more and more angry. And as they become more and more angry in blue areas of the country, it's festering to drive people out to the polls. In red areas of the country, the Democratic anger is spooking them into sticking up for the president, drawing even wayward Republicans who are skeptical of the president back towards the GOP to turn out in November. The great divide continues in this country, and these sorts of stories are guaranteed to be overplayed by Democrats who were on TV last night comparing the president's statement to the Holocaust. I'm not kidding. And now today, the New York Attorney General announces she's suing President Trump and the Trump administration for the tax cut legislation. She wants to undo nationally the tax cut legislation. Why? Because she says the refusal to allow state tax deductions in the federal plan will hurt New York and other states that have high income tax rates. So she wants to cut it out for all of us. Folks, Democrats can't help themselves. They're going to overplay this. Doesn't make what the president did yesterday right. It was a mistake. It was a big strategic mistake. He shouldn't have done it. The walk back today was necessary. But there's a long way to go till, till November. We'll be back. Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank, and it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system, and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked. With all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches, it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy. No matter what you do online, your mobile carrier, internet service providers, they're tracking you. Doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company, wherever you're getting your internet from, you're probably being tracked. With ExpressVPN, your internet data is encrypted. Your IP address is hidden. ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. 
Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk. So don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's 26 after the hour and 27 after the hour. Let's see if I can work a phone call in here real quick. Kay and Roswell, you're up first. Welcome. Welcome. How are you doing? So here's Good my, question. my question. I just read the statement. By adding the word, changing it, would, wouldn't, I need you to read the entire statement with that word substituted. It doesn't make sense between the body language and everything else that was said during the conference, right? If you read it, he's saying, I believe my people. I had a great, you know, reading in between the lines. We had a great meeting. Why wouldn't I believe him? And now all of a sudden he's changing to why would I believe him? So I think somebody sat down last night and said, how can we parse this out? It's like, oh, to- totally, word, totally, you know, absolutely. Um, the problem is that you have the president's historic statements over the last year um, where he has said repeatedly he didn't believe the Russians were interfering in the election process and then saying yesterday, what, why why would they do that? And now he's having to say, no, he really meant why why wouldn't they do that or or some such. Yes, it was a parsing of the language. They had to find a hook. Uh, the outrageous statement from yesterday was the president saying that the Russians would not have interfered in the election process. He believed Putin. Uh, so they had to walk that back today and said, yes, the, the Russians would have interfered in the process. Wouldn't, wouldn't. I mean, it depends on the definition of what is, is uh, in this. It's a very political answer and a very political walk back. Um, the president now saying him misspoke, but yesterday's statement's been consistent with his prior statements. That's part of the problem. I think I dozed off for a minute during Kurt's weather forecast because all of a sudden I started hearing the Saturday and Sunday, and I was like, what about tomorrow? I'm in Nashville uh, broadcasting live uh, from Nashville today. Had to come up for a lunch and a dinner today and drove up after the show last night and have had very little sleep. Nonetheless, I will get you home this evening along with Doug Turnbull and everybody else here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I do have some big actual news I need to tell you about real quick. Uh, Rick Perry, the former governor of Texas, longest serving governor of Texas, now Donald Trump's secretary of energy, is coming to the resurgent gathering. Um, You too can come to the resurgent gathering. And you can do so by texting the word Austin to 345-345. Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy, going to be hanging out with us uh, the first weekend in August in Austin, Texas. And given the heat we've had around here, it won't be too much different. Now, uh, more of your phone calls on the Trump situation before we move on to Barack Obama and the Kegel Kemp race. Justin from Cumming has been waiting very patiently. Justin, welcome. Hey, Eric. Um, I'm in my early 30s. I, I did not grow up necessarily during war times, and 
uh, somebody being force feeding me that Russia is a bad thing, I have a hard time identifying with. Um, you know, understand a foreign power interfering in our election is a is a bad thing. But as far as the Russian meddling, all they can see, you know, they uncovered our eyes. The DNC, they 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 bolstered some ads on Facebook. I, I don't see necessarily where what they did is a bad thing. So is it just a, based on principle, or is it something they did? Now, Justin, this is a great question, um, partly because it lets me sound brilliant on the radio. <laughs> okay, so it, let's back up uh, and go to who Vladimir Putin is. Um, Vladimir Putin is a former senior member of the KGB, which was the Soviet intelligence force uh, that rounded people up and made them disappear around the world. Uh, there is credible, credible, credible evidence that the way Putin got elected the first time after the crumbling of the Soviet Union and the rebuilding of Russia without the communists was to blow up an apartment building and claim it was Chechen separatists, Muslim rebels. He started a war in Chechnya and won the election in Russia claiming it was these terrorists who had blown up this apartment building, killing a bunch of people. He's not a very nice person at all. He also has said in the past um, that he wants to resurrect elements of uh, Soviet communism, not necessarily uh, all of the ideologies of the Soviets, but he's a Soviet at heart. He's a communist at heart. Even though he doesn't operate, he's transformed Russia into an oligarchy. And one of the things that Russia believes is that the United States, by allowing Eastern European countries into NATO, has been undermining what he believes is the traditional Russian sphere of influence. He believes that each major country in the world has a sphere of influence and that other countries should leave that alone. Well, the Eastern European countries were all taken over by the Soviets after World War II. They never wanted to be in the Soviet uh, sphere. They never wanted to be behind the Iron Curtain and the Warsaw Pact. As soon as the Soviet Union collapsed, all the people there rose up in rebellion and threw out their old leaders and established very pro-Western free market governments. Vladimir Putin believes that our relationship with these uh, Eastern European powers is an affront to the Russian sphere of influence, and we need to be driven off. He's worked to prop up governments uh, now in Ukraine by taking over Crimea. He's been working to prop up governments in Hungary and in the, the former Yugoslav republics. He's been planting people in Poland and elsewhere to try to undermine those governments and to undermine NATO as well. And the reason is because he has expressed repeatedly he's got expansionist appetites for Russia to restore Mother Russia's greatness, which he connects to the Soviet Union. So the way he's been going about this in the West is to try to destabilize Western democracies through hacking, through cyber crimes, through undermining democratic institutions. He's not just doing it here. He's doing it in other European countries. He's doing it um, allegedly tried to do it in Canada. He's done it in Southeast Asia all to try to get Americans in this country in particular fighting with each other, which he seems to have been very successful at, but also to try to get people elected who will start to weaken NATO, weaken our alliances in Europe so that he can incur back into Eastern European countries where they don't want him. Uh, this is dangerous for us because we've started building military presences there and he wants to come back in and build military presences there for Russia. 
Now, that you may think, well, that doesn't sound bad. Let them have it. The problem is that we enter treaties with these countries to defend them against Russian incursion because the Soviets treated them so badly. When the Soviet Union collapsed and Boris Yeltsin took over and started the Russian Federation, agreements were made with these countries to leave them alone, and we agreed to help prop these countries up and get them out of the Soviet era and help build them back up economically. So what Russia is trying to do is bring back the Cold War, essentially, and reestablish American and Soviet spheres of influence and reestablish rivalries. The Russians right now are in uh, Nicaragua helping the Sandinistas again. And, and you remember the Iran-Contra stuff with Ronald Reagan. He's there propping up communist puppets uh, who have been shooting up people in churches in the last several weeks. It's a very destabilizing thing worldwide. I'm seeing a couple of people say, well, this doesn't sound so bad. I mean, we had great times when Reagan was president. Yeah, okay, so here's the problem with that is the United States and the Soviet Union may have never fought directly during the Cold War. But we fought in Central America, we fought in South America, we fought in Asia, we fought in Africa, we fought in the Middle East. Um, Vladimir Putin is trying to reestablish a Russian sphere of influence in all of those areas. And that sphere of influence comes at an expense, American influence. And as our influence wanes and their influence rises, along with China, by the way, which has just redirected uh, oil purchases from the United States to Iran, it gives rise to a bunch of despotic regimes that don't support freedom, that don't support free markets, that don't support economic liberalism, that, that don't support pluralism, that don't support democracy. And as you let those countries flourish, those countries tend to clash with free market countries. And so you're setting up greater instability in the world by what Russia is doing. But Vladimir Putin, he's actually stated this very plainly, believes that greater instability in the world will give rise to an American out, output of resources at a time we're not fiscally able to, which will allow Russia to benefit. Essentially, he believes that we bankrupted the Soviet Union and he wants to bankrupt us. He believes that the American platform on the stage as the leader of the free world is bad and we need to go away. If you believe that he's right and we need to recede, okay, but just understand that the entire post-World War II world was set up with the idea that the United States would be the leader of the free world. As you see with us stepping away from the stage and stepping down from that position, Think of all of the instability that's happening in the world and don't tell me we're not going to get another serious conflict around the world that will draw us back into it, possibly at a weakened position, which Vladimir Putin would be okay with. We'll be back. Uh-oh, heads up. A British man in Syria has sent more than $100,000 to fund terror attacks in Bangladesh and the United States through shell companies in Europe and Asia. He also bought a bunch of drone parts and had couriers. Um, this from the BBC, the terror operation has apparently a terror network in South Wales has been broken apart. Um, but they're tracking down still pieces abroad. Um, this story will be developing, I am sure. Now, we need to get into the gubernatorial race when we come back. Um, but before we even get there, I want to go, Mark, we got about a minute, but wanted to squeeze you in here. Welcome. Hey, Mark. Hey, can you hear me? Yep, yep, we got about a minute. Hey. Okay, here's my point. I think I think Trump is playing the perfect double agent president. And here's what I mean. 
with Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin, those guys are bears. You don't poke at a bear. You tell them what they want to hear. You shake their hand. You make them feel special. And then behind the scenes, or not behind the scenes, but when we're back here, he's, his policies are completely against Russia and North Korea. He's got maximum pressure on North Korea still. He's been uh, destabilizing all kinds of things with Russia. So his actions are pro-American, while his language is not poking the bear. So I think that's where he's being the savvy double-agent president, where he's doing what he's got to do. Now, with our allies in Europe, people are upset. Like, why is he bad-mouthing them? Well, I think he's being the stern father with the uh, rebellious teenagers that the allies in Western Europe are being because they're not playing fair with us. High tariffs. All right. uh, Okay, Mark, I got to let you go there because we're out of town. But consider just this as an option. Um, There's a difference between Trump and the Trump administration. It's not him saying one thing to another. It's his administration taking the hard line, not him. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Let's get into the governor's race. Uh, and I actually am interested in your reaction to the latest uh, round, the, the Tippins audio, the nastiness on the campaign trail, the attacks back and forth. It, it, You know, I said during the primary that it was genuinely a nice primary. There weren't a lot of nasty attacks. And now suddenly um, they have amped up on both sides from the massage attack on, on Brian Kemp to the Tippins audio, the trust issue and whatnot. I, I got to tell you, though. Uh, there are two parts of the Tippins audio where I, I feel compelled to defend Casey Cagle. And I, the one is that, yeah, I agree with him. I think Republican primaries and Democratic primaries alike have become rushes to the outer edges to see who can out crazy. I mean, for God's sakes, we had a deportation bus running in the Republican primary, primary from one candidate trying to get attention. Um, but I also think in that... Um, that Cagle and, and his, his, uh, Delta, we're not going to, we're going to kill this tax break for Delta, uh, because the NRA, that that plays directly into it as well. And he didn't want to admit that in the interview yesterday, but I think it does. And the reason I say that is because Cagle had been an advocate of that tax break for Delta, uh, and then suddenly does this and gets the NRA endorsement. Uh, I, I do think he's culpable there now, along with the other candidates as well. Um, and then the latest audio has Cagle saying he he wants to to help the poor. He wants to elevate them out of poverty. Now, uh, Republicans are reading this in as Cagle wants to be an LBJ, wants to um, have all sorts of, of big government programs and whatnot. I don't read it that way. Regardless of your views on Casey Cagle, he has a, a strident, staunch, extensive history of wanting to improve public education in Georgia. Um, in fact, he's he's in trouble, and, and this Tippins audio is related to, he pushed a piece of legislation he thought was bad policy and would hurt public schools because he wanted to hurt Hunter Hill. I, I think he's right that Republican primary voters don't think through deep public policy, and it, it's somewhat interesting here, and I think his campaign is right in pointing out one of the attacks on Casey Cagle is that he doesn't really get policy. He's not that sharp. 
and yet he has a profound depth of knowledge when it comes to, to education policy in the state of Georgia. That being said, uh, I don't think it's helpful for Cagle to buy into left-wing attacks against Republicans that they only care about the rich. Um, and, you know, Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams, the, the Democratic candidate and the, her Democratic opponent who lost, are already out there echoing Cagle that, yeah, the Republicans only care about the rich. He was in his comment saying he cares about the poor and, and Republicans don't care about policy. And he attacked Hunter Hill in this audio for essentially caring only about rich people. And I don't think that's true of Hunter Hill at all. Hunter Hill has a real profound belief in the free market and his advocacy of tax reform and regulatory reform and getting George out of picking winners and losers is part of Hunter Hill's belief that when you get the government out of the way, uh, all the boats can rise. And in fact, I think you go back to the days when we didn't have such huge income inequality in this country, and one of the big benchmark dividing lines there was that that was at a time where government wasn't picking winners and losers, but really was letting the free market do it. Um, so it's a mixed bag on the Kegel audio. Uh, I, I, but I just I gotta I, I gotta tell you really what I think on this issue. And I'm not one to shy away from it. Um, there is a, a lingering lingering point from our audio interview yesterday. You can listen to that interview if you missed it. Uh, you can text the word show to 345, 345. I'm sorry, text the word show to 444-999. I gave everybody the wrong number yesterday. Um, text the word show to 444-999. You can get yesterday's interview with Casey Cagle. He was with me for the full hour. Um, I will have Brian Kemp on Thursday. I, I did not listen. I, it is not my style, particularly in phone interviews where, I mean, every time I've interviewed Casey when he's on the phone, it, it, it's hard to get him to stop. He goes off on a policy tangent, and we could have spent an hour talking about digging tunnels under Atlanta. And I would have loved that conversation, by the way. Um, if, if Cagle gets elected, I want him back in, and we may do two hours on uh, digging tunnels under Atlanta because I'm fascinated by the idea and and think we really ought to yes i i'm in the camp of let's dig tunnels uh, i'm right there with him on this but nonetheless uh, when he gets talking on some of these issues it's hard to stop him if he's not in the room with me and i don't like to do contentious interviews anyway it's not really my style i'd rather let someone um express themselves and and you can uh, linger on what they say and don't say and how they say things but i did feel the need to push him on the tippins interview and he immediately pivoted to blaming Brian Kemp for it, which isn't true. Kemp had nothing to do with it. I, I know that. We've had Tippins on here to talk about it. Um, and yeah, I just don't believe that Cagle gave a straight answer on the Delta issue with me. And the reason I say that is because when I asked him about it and point blank asked, uh, does this mean when you get elected that Delta is not going to do this? He immediately pivoted to blame and, and I had to bring him back to it. And he said, no, they're not going to get it. But it, that's part of the damage of the Tippins audio and why I think the trust issue is hurting Cagle here. We have a governor right now, Governor Deal, who campaigned on signing the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RIFRA. It does not, it is not a law that would say that a baker could say no gays allowed. That, that's, that's not what this law does. What RIFRA does is it fixes a quirk of the Supreme Court 
where the Supreme Court, and it was actually Antonin Scalia who did it, and he only did it because of case precedent. He had tremendous press, uh, support for precedent. Uh, the Supreme Court had long ago decided that the free exercise clause of the First Amendment was not given the same standing as the rest of the First Amendment. So there are scrutiny levels from the Supreme Court. There's a rational basis standard that government can do whatever it wants. If there's a rational basis, there's an intermediate scrutiny, and there's a strict scrutiny standard. And the strict scrutiny standard is virtually impossible for the government to overcome. And what the courts have done in the past is they've said that if government wants to do something that violates the First Amendment, uh, the courts will give that strict scrutiny, um, that essentially they must find any other way possible to do what they want to do. And if there is no physically feasible possible way to do it, then maybe they'll consider it. And the Supreme Court said that doesn't apply to the very first sentence of the First Amendment. Um, the free exercise clause. And so all RIFRA does is say no, uh, strict scrutiny goes there as well. So that's why Little Sisters of the Poor, Hobby Lobby, uh, Conestoga Wagon and whatnot could win their case against the federal government in uh, the abortion mandate because there were other ways to carry out the abortion mandate without infringing on people's free exercise of their religion in their daily lives. That's all RIFRA does is it says every part of the First Amendment has to have the same strict scrutiny standard by the federal courts. And it doesn't apply to the, the person who wants to discriminate against the, the, the gay person because it, when it comes to, to businesses like that, that's a contract right. It's not a First Amendment right according to existing precedent. This is all about the government compelling you to do things. So, for example, if uh, the city of Athens or Atlanta says you have to have transgender bathrooms, well, then that's the government imposing something on you, and there would be a strict scrutiny standard there, and it protects you from that. And Governor Deal, all the years he's been governor, has said he would sign RIFRA. And they have passed RIFRA repeatedly. And behind the scenes, he and leaders of the Republican Party and the legislature have blocked again and again and again the passage of RIFRA. And when it really mattered, when the grassroots were really worked up about it in the election year of 2016, when Nathan Deal was not running for office, but all the other guys were, they, miracle of miracles, finally passed it and he vetoed it. And then they never brought it up to override the veto. See, it's it's a politically convenient trick that our legislature has done in the past where they say they support something and then they make sure that it's not going to get Nathan Deal in trouble with the voters. He's not on the ballot, so he doesn't have to worry about it. So they pass it through the legislature and let him veto it, and he plays the bad guy. And then in other years, when it's an off year and they're not up for election, they can be the bad guy and just not get it done. And we've seen this game played time and time again with RIFRA. We've seen it now with uh, Christian faith-based adoption agencies. We saw it with the, the Free the Beer Law. Um, time and time again, we've seen these things happen. And the legislature plays those games. And as Lieutenant Governor Cagle has been involved in playing those games as well. And so to hear him on the audio say that he pushed something through the legislature this year because he thinks it's bad policy, but he needed to get it done to hurt Hunter Hill's campaign just plays into that. Uh, how do we know what we're getting? How do we know that his opposition to Delta wasn't about getting the NRA vote? And when he gets elected, he'll give them the tax break because in the past he supported it. And I just, I, I don't know how you overcome that. I, I think what it is is you trust but verify. If, if he does become governor, you hope to hold him at his word, and if you don't, well, then in four years you hold him accountable for that. 
but it's certainly weighing on his campaign, and I totally get it, given how often conservatives have been burned by Republican promises in Georgia, and then they play cutesy games and don't actually deliver on their promises. We'll be back. Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank, and it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system, and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked. With all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches, it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy. No matter what you do online, your mobile carrier, internet service providers, they're tracking you. Doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company, wherever you're getting your internet from, you're probably being tracked. With ExpressVPN, your internet data is encrypted. Your IP address is hidden. ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk, so don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's 26 after the hour. Uh, okay, your turn here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Sammy and Tucker, you're up next. Welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, your comments regarding Kemp's comments the other day, uh, as a frustrated uh, Hill supporter, I find them uh, a little bit uh, difficult to deal with. Related to the Georgia voter wait, wait. situation, Kemp's or Cagles? Kemp's made the statement that Georgia computers had not been hacked. He said it specifically and without any hesitation. And okay, he, he wasn't talking to me. Uh, it, it wasn't me. Oh, I know it wasn't you. No, I'm just saying that basically this is in the debate, and I just wanted your opinion as to what your thoughts are uh. about this. Well, it, so Homeland Security actually said that Georgia's um, voter databases weren't hacked. Um, there was a Homeland Security operative who was trying to, to go through some channels to get in. There, it wasn't a hacking. That's what actually happened. It was actually someone from Homeland Security trying something, according to Homeland Security. Uh, there's no evidence that Georgia's systems have ever been hacked. Um, and frankly, the way they work, it'd kind of be hard to. Thirty-nine after the hour. Eric Erickson here, live from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I found the report from 2017 over the the hacking stuff. 
uh, with the Secretary of State's voter database. Uh, so here's what it was. There's an Inspector General report. If you you probably can't even remember because uh, there was so much happening at the time that everybody's stunned by the president's election. And there were claims that people had hacked the Georgia voter database. Brian Kemp sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security asking them to look into it because it appeared to have come from the Department of Homeland Security. The inspector general at the Homeland at the Department of Homeland Security investigated. There was a separate investigation as well. Let me read you. Um, here's from Brian Kemp. On November 15, 2016, an IP address associated with the Department of Homeland Security made an unsuccessful attempt to penetrate the Georgia Secretary of State's firewall. I'm writing to ask whether DHS was aware of this attempt, and if so, why DHS was attempting to breach our firewall. Now, notice the attempt came after the election, not during the electoral process. Um, nonetheless, so the traffic, according to a report from the Department of Homeland Security, was caused by an employee who had cut and pasted data from an database into Microsoft Excel, which sent light traffic to the Georgia server while parsing the data. The traffic wouldn't have been abnormal based on what it was, although they don't say what it was other than it was not related to voter data, um, but had something related to the Secretary of State's IP address in it. Now, the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, who operates independently from the chain of command at the Department of Homeland Security, conducted a second investigation and found the same thing, that there were several states involved. It wasn't just Georgia. It appeared to be a quirk in Microsoft Excel as they were routing in information into a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that included web addresses. Excel was pinging to make sure that the web addresses were actually valid web addresses before throwing out and uh, spitting out an error or whatnot, or the IP addresses, not web addresses. That's what it was. There was no actual hacking. Now, there was a situation where I believe it was Kennesaw State maintained the voter integrity database. Uh, they had started under Kathy Cox, had continued under Karen Handel. Brian Kemp became Secretary of State, and at one point while Brian Kemp was Secretary of State, they sent out uh, the uh, list of voters anybody can request and kept the Social Security numbers in of all the voters. This was not a Secretary of State issue. This was the uh, Kennesaw State University, which had been contracted to maintain this information. When the Secretary of State's office found out about it, they were called it all, um, and they were able. It was all on C physical CDs, and they were able to get them all back uh, from people. But it became a news story. That's where all of this goes. Uh, if anything. Kemp kind of, he took ownership of the problem and politically probably shouldn't have because everybody's been blaming him for it since when it wasn't really him. Uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. To the phones we go, Roger in Athens, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing fine, thank you. My comment tonight is I, I'm not... I don't believe that Russia cared one way or the other who won the election, whether it was Hillary or Donald Trump. I think their mm -hmm. whole motive was just inter interfering just enough so that our nation would be divided. Uh, the reason being, <sighs> Scripture says, Thank you. a nation uh, divided, a house divided against itself will not stand. I think their mm -hmm. motive was to bring division, and they've done a very good job of that, whether they ever intended one or the other to, to win. Roger, I, I have been beating this drum forever. Thank you. I, I'm glad someone agrees with me. Uh, and you're right. The the reports from all of the officials we have so far, from the Department of Justice, from the FBI, from the CIA, show over and over and over Russia did not care who won. They did not care. 
They wanted us at each other's throats, and guess what? It worked. It absolutely worked. Uh, and, and now for liberals out there, uh, spare me the phone calls and don't at me, as the kids these days say. Um, the, the, yes, Vladimir Putin yesterday said he did want Donald Trump elected. Okay, so you believe him? Well, he also said that they didn't interfere in the election. Oh, you, you don't believe him? I mean, what is it? I mean, him saying he wanted Trump elected is as much him toying in the political process as the Russians trying to interfere in the election. It's all about stirring dissent and animosity among voters in this country, keeping us fighting with each other so that we're distracted and the Russians can start expanding their sphere of influence again. That's what was going on. Uh, you know somebody who's starting to recognize this, by the way? Barack Hussein Obama. Now, my friend Jim just texted me, and it was in all caps, so I better pay attention to his email. Other runoffs, exclamation mark. Remind folks of the other runoffs. The governor's race has sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Uh, he's actually in, there's an area manager in Gwinnett County um, that's up. But, yeah, there are runoffs besides the governor's race. There's also the secretary of state. And there is the um, Secretary of State and the Lieutenant Governor. You've got, uh, I'm supporting David Schaefer for Lieutenant Governor. And uh, there's Brad Raffensberger and David Belisle, uh, the Mayor of Alpharetta, in the Secretary of State's race as well. Um, I don't know Raffensberger. He may be a nice guy. I, I cast my vote for um, Belisle. Uh, I've met him before. He's a nice guy, and everybody says he's competent. So. Um, there you have it. Uh, there are other runoffs. There are judicial runoffs as well, but it will all be wrapped up on Tuesday. There are no runoffs of runoffs, thank God. Um, we will then get into the general election where Stacey Abrams will battle either Brian Kemp or Casey Cagle. It, by the way, it is a fact because I do know people who work in the Democratic Party in Georgia, believe it or not, and they really do want to run against Brian Kemp. They really do think that he will be easy to run against. I will tell the, you, as I told my friend who works for the Democrats the other day, Casey Cagle really wanted Brian Kemp in the runoff because he thought Brian Kemp would be easier to beat than Hunter Hill. And he may just lose to Brian Kemp by getting what he wished for. Um, Kemp is ahead in multiple polls out there right now. Um, and we'll see on Tuesday whether or not those polls are right. Uh, the AJC poll, it's a really good poll, and there's there's they're within the margin of error there, but it's it's something. Uh, and again, Cagle wanted Kemp in the runoff and got what he wanted, and may lose because of it. We'll find out on Tuesday, and we'll be back. Y'all, this story ties together both of my worlds today. Being in Nashville, um, I, I had to Google this to make sure I got the exact words right. Um, there's a billboard. It's right by RTS's campus, too, um, just off Delk Road, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, where, where I was going until I transferred up to Southeastern Baptist uh, this past year. Uh, there's a billboard, and it's a, it's a cow, and it says, I'm me, not meat. See the individual go vegan. It's a PETA ad. And apparently it started in here in Nashville, where I am today. Two cows were killed when a semi hauling cattle overturned in Nashville. 
And so they put the billboard. Well, it's in Atlanta now. Uh, you can see it when you go up 75. Um, it's it's right around the Delk Road area. It's a blue sign. You see a cow's head, and it says, I'm me, not meat. See the individual. Go vegan. Now, here's the irony here is that three-quarters to 90% of the PETA people who see the sign and not along with it see a child in utero and don't believe it's a human. So this cow, they allow this cow to have individuality, <laughs> but not a child. Uh, no, no, the, 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 the children aren't individuals. The, 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 the creatures with souls aren't individuals, but the cow is an individual. This is idolatry. I mean, it is worshiping creation at its finest. My goodness gracious. It's so ridiculous, too. Um, I do not care to know the name of the chicken I'm having for supper. I'm, I'm going to a restaurant tonight, a nice steakhouse, and I, I could care less what the cow's name is before I stick my fork and knife into the piece of the cow that I'm going to have for supper. I, I couldn't care less. Uh, and yet the left, they want to humanize animals while dehumanizing people. It is, I mean, the liberal secular logic is the logic of an insane asylum. Uh, to, to give individuality to a cow and say, I'm me, not meat. No, no, you are a very tasty meat and God puts you on the planet for me to barbecue in the backyard and I thank you for it.